What's going on, everybody? And welcome to Libations and Liberation, the podcast. I'm your host, Arnetta Viela-Smith, and I am excited to bring you another episode. So today we're going to be talking about mental wellness. And I'm especially excited about our special guest, who is also, um, I'm grateful to say, a colleague of mine. She is a relationship and life coach, Miss Brandy Avila. I'll be bringing you that conversation later on. Um, but I wanted to take this opportunity to extend an invitation to the community. I love putting people on. And so if you're a musician and you want me to play some of your music, please reach out. Um, I would love to do that. I would love to incorporate music. Um, as you know, there is a lot of uh, copyright law, so I'm not, you know, I don't have money like that, so I'm not trying to do no copyright laws. But so if you are an independent artist and you want uh, me to play your your music, reach out, uh, please. I will say uh, it has to fit the mood, which is like a chill vibe. So that's the only stipulation. Um, and also, if you are a community member and you want to be on the show and and have conversations about um, anything that leads us to liberation, please, please reach out. Uh, you are welcome. Let me know. You can hit me at libationseliberation at gmail.com. That's libationsyliberation at gmail.com. So, of course, it is time to pour some libations. Okay, so I want to pour some libations for an amazing soul, Amber Ruffin. If you have not seen the Amber Ruffin show, you do not know what you're missing. I follow her on IG and every time she shows sections of her show, it just brings me so much joy. Black joy. I mean, and this is what we need to heal is more black joy, black laughter, black comedy. You know what I'm saying? Like she legit makes you feel good. And so I just want to send her blessings. Um, and I want to make sure that we know about her show and we can support her because we need more of her around. We need more of that type of joy around. Thank you so much, Amber Ruffin, for your amazing talent. And if you don't know y'all, her show, The Amber Ruffin Show, is streaming on Peacock. Check that shit out. Ashe, and so it is. All right, y'all, it is time for Community Speaks, and I am so excited to have the homie in the house, Miss Brandy Avila. I just want to give you a little bit about her before we get her on the line. She is a social justice-focused educator, a mother and wife, and what we're talking about today, the founder of Happiness Unlocked Relationship and Life Coaching. Um, you can also find Happiness Unlocked on her YouTube channel, which we'll um, put the link in the note in the show notes later. Um, she creates content centered on love, wellness, and personal growth. She is driven to normalize mental health and care and help facilitate the inner work that we need to engage in order to realize and enjoy the happy life we desire. Yes. Her educational background spans Pan-African studies, sociology, educational counseling, mental health recovery, and trauma-informed care. 
Welcome. Welcome, Brandy. Say what's up. Thank you. Hey, y'all. I'm so happy to be here. We are so happy to have you. So please, you know, we, we, I, I know that you're a mental health professional. Tell me about this project, Happiness Unlocked. What drove you to create it? Tell me more about the, the show. I've wanted to create a platform for a long time and just in doing all of my college work and having babies and getting married and all that stuff, I never really found a time, but it's actually perfect because I feel like we can only go as deep if, as we've gone with ourselves. And so um, I've had my own share of my own mental health journey. So I call it my healing journey because once I stopped having to survive like month to month in the moment, I had like a lot of free space to feel things that I had suppressed. And it was disturbing to me what I realized. And it's, it's weird to think about like you realizing what you've been through, but I feel like being a black woman and growing up where I grew up and everything, I didn't have time to stop. And like self-care wasn't even a thing. Mental health was so um, taboo. It was a white thing. Mental health was a white thing in my household. <laughs> they were like, you don't, you don't go to the psych unless you're crazy. You know, nobody wants to be crazy. Yes. Like you better pray it away. Right. <laughs> so, uh, um, so what really, really led me to this is um, my first real interaction with a therapist was in 2014. So, you know, we're, we're like six years later here, but it was in 2014. Um, I had preterm labor and gave delivery and delivered my twin boys and they passed away. And so from that, as you can imagine, I was a mess. And so I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. But what I did not realize was that all the other traumas <laughs> that I experienced would also start to come up in these sort of flashing thoughts and other triggers would present themselves. And so I've been on a journey since then to try to figure this all out. How do I um, really take care of my mental health? So for Happiness Unlocked, I'm trying to marry like my personal experiences, what I know from my last graduate program, where I also earned that certificate for mental health recovery and trauma-informed care, but also from like a very culturally driven perspective. Um, and also kind of just help us to realize that we do have an empowered voice and we do have agency over our, this crazy life <laughs> um, that we live in, you know, where things are just happening and we're just going and having to survive that at the end of the day, we can live a happy life um, with or without a mental health diagnosis, right? Like, you don't have to have a diagnosis. Yeah. And I have to say, um, that's one of the reasons that I liked um, uh, Happiness Unlocked, your YouTube series, is because you do um, tell us about, you're very vulnerable on it. You tell us about your mental health journey. Um, and for me, at least, I can't speak for um, other folks who watch it, um, but it does uh, allow me to connect to you, even though we're in this like online space and I'm just looking at a video that you created. It, it does allow me to be like, damn, you know, uh, I've gone through that. And you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm, I feel more invested um, in what you have to say in the advice that you give. Um, was that something that was intentional for you? I know you say you wanted to marry what you were going through with like your professional um, attributes. But was that like when you started this process where you like, I'm going to start with my personal stories and then I'm going to go into kind of the way that I healed um, to 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 kind of structure it that way. Yeah, a huge part of it is that because I would always, like I was the kid, like I was a kid, I grew up in the 90s where there was like these talk shows, right? And it's like, I consumed those talk shows every chance I could, <laughs> love them. But I really would always wonder about like the person asking the questions, like it felt very like a unreciprocal relationship. Ooh, like they're just are taking and not giving anything. Yes, not giving anything. And that made me uncomfortable once I really could look at it from an aerial view, you know, like really it took me to get to like college to be like, wait, this is what I was uncomfortable with is that 
all of these people's lives are on display and it almost feels manipulative because you're not like infusing your life experience. And we, we have to be careful what we feel comfortable sharing and when, right? So there's some things that I may not be comfortable sharing this year that maybe in two years, I'm like, okay, I'm there in my journey where I'm able to explore this topic. But that's why I kind of started with, we can only go as deep as we've gone, right? Because, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about things and under things, understand things as a theory, but how do we make these things practical and how do we bring life to them? Now, I can look at so many examples in media and say, look at this person. This is what's wrong with this person, but it feels more right. I'm look, I couldn't find the word, but right to just say, look at my life. This is what I've gone through. You might also be experiencing this. Hopefully you're not. But if you are, here are some of the things that you can do to, to live through it and still thrive as a human. Ashe, yeah, I, I have to say, um, as a Black woman too, uh, there are so many unique uh, things that we have to go through uh, as we move through through the world. So, so since we're on, you know, mental health and um, blackness, or maybe we weren't, but I'm going there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about, you know, um, how race can affect your mental health? I know that I've seen studies where it's it's a race based stress. So, for example, um, if you take a black person that's in the 1%, right? The 1% that has the most money in the world. There's some black folks there too. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. let's just be real. But, but, but they have a different experience than their white counterparts. They're still likely to die early from stress. And, it, and what they found is that a lot of the stress was race related. Tell us more about that. Like, how is that, how is that possible? Why can't, you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like, you know, most people are like, you blame everything on racism. Well. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what I say, too. So, so tell, you know, the school is on, on, on the connection between racism and, and mental health. Like, how does that affect our well-being, our mental yeah. well-being? Yeah. There's so much there. Like, there's so much to just work through. Um, I'm also one of the people who, as you can imagine, is accused of blaming everything on race, but it's interesting because race is such an important thing until we start to point fingers at it and place the blame where it needs to go. Right. So for, for let's start with this. I was talking with, with our, with our students. Right. And I'm like, can we really, if we really think about all the things that black people encounter being pulled over by the police and how that literally brings up anxiety for us, fight or flight. We don't know if our lives are in danger. We're going through school with stereotype threat, you know, being afraid to read aloud in class because for fear that we'll stumble over a word like a normal human in fifth grade or 12th grade, but then now somehow we're no longer able to learn. We're not smart scared that we'll fulfill a stereotype, right? Um, just all of the unnecessary and unrealistic pressures that are placed on Black women to be the healers with no training, just because you're a Black woman, you present as a Black woman, you're the healer, you're the helper, you're the one who has to take care of everything. There's no way that that's not having an impact on our psyche and our emotional well-being. There's just, I just don't see how those things don't cross paths. And, and also the way that race um, impacts us is in cultural understandings. And, 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 and I'm going to put on like a sociology hat, right? When we're when we're raised, right, by our families and our communities based on wherever the locale that we are growing up in, we come to have cultural understandings and that creates our culture. So what do those things do? They give us boundaries. They tell us what's okay, what's not okay, what is mental health, what isn't it? Like we both talked about, like that meant you were quote unquote crazy or like that's for white people or what have you. Like those are cultural understandings. And so when we're going through things in our life, a lot of the times, because we have to survive as a Black community, we don't have time to stop 
and kind of like, let me see, or even the resources, let me send you to a therapist to work through this traumatic event. So what happens is we just end up putting up protectors right in our life to help to protect us and sometimes those things can while they protect us as we grow up and as we get older and as our situations change we hold on to those behaviors that are now not serving us i say oh my god you are girl you're reading (laughs) you're reading me right now so then now we have to we're adults living with inner broken children and pressures of what it means to be black and working in with definitions of of what what is black what is uh a good life what does happy mean what does unhappy mean like all of these things and we don't even have the emotional freedom as black people to express right so you're i I always kind of like looked at like my artist friends like my friends who had rap or spoken word or something of that sort because i felt like they did have an out a way to express themselves because in normal life we don't have that so i always think of the story um my parents let us go to a party it was my first high school party even though i was in the 12th grade and there was all sorts of things that like (laughs) told me i shouldn't be there right like trust your intuition it's there for a reason like it is within a certain reason but i go (laughs) (laughs) i go because my sister's like if you don't go you know mom and dad ain't gonna let me go and my friends are like if you don't go our parents ain't gonna let us go so i'm like whatever so wow you're the responsible one (laughs) i'm the responsible one since day one right like brandy going cool um so (laughs) so i go and it's a good time until some people you know break into the party all that stuff i see two people get killed um i am trapped in the bathroom people are getting trampled um i saw three other people get shot i try to run out the door and not only are they shooting inside the party they're shooting outside right oh my god and there was no grief counseling there was nothing I went home at seven o'clock in the morning after they concluded their investigation, after the Lakewood sheriffs treated us horribly, you know, treated us all, oh, it was just a mess. Anyways, you know, the next next day I, I rested and then I went to school. Like nothing happened? Nothing happened. I went to school. We talked about it a little bit at lunch, the people who were there. And then I went to college and I kept going to college and then, I'm trying to figure out why am I afraid to be trapped somewhere? Like, oh why am God. I, why am yeah. I uncomfortable in the movie theater? Why am I always looking for the exit? Why did you know? P- yeah, that's PTSD, yo. That's exactly. So, how many of us are living with that? I just got the privilege to go to a therapist to be able to work through this stuff over the last several years. But really, what about everybody else who was at that party? Right. And you know what? Can I say that this is reminding me of because, you know, I'm also black studies. So I'm like, oh, man, this is this is reminding me of the Mm -hmm. myth (laughs) of like black. I don't even know what it's called, but there's this myth that black folks can endure more pain than any other race. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so. I, in that instance, it was the physical pain, right? Not mm-hmm. even mental pain. But I, I feel like there's the connection there because they, you know, we don't have these resources. And I also think, um, you know, as far as like uh, culturally, I also think that the westernized medical system has screwed us Ugh. over so much that yes. our our parents are, it's sort of like you, they have PTSD, Right. They're mm-hmm. like, nah, I'm good. I ain't going to the doctor. Nah, that's for yeah. white folks. You know what I'm saying? So there's um there's this uh myth of like, you know, uh black superheroism. I don't mm-hmm. even know what, what you would yes. call that. And yes. then and then also the reality of, you know, the um racism within the medical industry, period. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and not even talking about the, because you know, I, I also listen to this other podcast um, called Qu- Queer Walk. If you know, if you haven't heard them, check them out. Um, but they, the one of the hosts on there, just got her PhD in counseling, and just to hear what she went through in order just to get this degree, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's very rare that you see black folks there, and a lot of the time it's because they're being pushed out. 
So now when we get into the real world and we do need these counselors, there's not enough black counselors for us. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to talk to no white person about racism. <laughs> Bitches, you're the reason that I have to be in here. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I, you know what I mean? Like, just to keep it real. Like, I don't want to talk to a white person about white people. Right. right. Like, you know, even if they're down, they could be totally a radical white person. You know, they could be the descendants of folks who marched in the civil rights. I don't care. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to see somebody that looks like me. And then just, you know, representation matters. Like if I'm a young undergraduate, I don't see no counselors. I wouldn't even think to go into mental health, yes. even though that's where one of our biggest needs in the black community is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to just thank you for even going into the field, because I will tell you, um, you know, I started um, therapy in the early 2000s and, you know, I'm from St. Louis and I cannot find a black therapist to save my life I could not you know yeah. what I'm saying like yeah. it was I was just like fuck this and then when I moved to the bay I even got more specific because I became more conscious I was like I want a black queer therapist yes. <laughs> I couldn't get a black queer therapist I can get a white gay man I can get a white gay girl I can get a black straight man I couldn't even get a black straight woman like that was, mm-hmm. I was on the wait list for so long because I refused to just accept whatever they were giving and that's a problem that's problematic that is such a problem and and I personally both of so I've tried a ton I had to fire the first two and, and you know sadly enough and I'm almost afraid to say this so depending on how it comes out go ahead and cut it out <laughs> but, <laughs> But, if it's real, um, if it's true, thank goodness. You know, it is what it so, is. So, so um, the when I first got a therapist, um, in twenty fourteen, um, I asked for a woman of color, and I specific I asked for a black woman or a woman of color. I specifically wanted them to be a woman because my trauma was tied to pregnancy, and I really wanted to ask for a mother, but at least for someone who might be able to identify with like the idea of carrying someone in, in within you. And then I got a woman of color um, twice. Neither one of them were black. Um, and they try to, they over identify with me, which is not something that's gonna happen every single time you get a therapist. I'm still on my search for a black therapist. My therapist right now is super dope, but she is white. And I do talk to her about racism. And I want, I wonder sometimes if she's just like, damn, you know? <laughs> but um, over identify me, with me in, in the sense of it was like, understood some of the cultural understandings too much to where they placed their stories on me. And I was like, Oh, you gotta go. (laughs) You gotta go. But, um, it's interesting because we should be able to ask for a black woman therapist or a black queer therapist or whatever. Right. And And be able to get it and be able to get it. The reason why I don't have a black therapist right now is because there was not one. Right. So I'm, and I was just like, but I'm in the middle of postpartum depression, so I need to see anybody at this point. And we we happen to be compatible. We happen to be compatible. But look how many I had to go through before I found someone that was compatible. And I, and I actually felt like I was in dire need, so I was just willing to see anybody. And it just happened to work out. But I should have been able to get my request as well. I feel you. I feel you. And I have to say, I don't have a black therapist right now either um, because I can find one, but I do mm-hmm. have a queer woman of color who is nice. dope as fuck. And uh, she's going to be a guest on a future show to talk to us about anger as a legitimate emotion. Yes. <laughs> Remember I said earlier, we don't even have full range of our emotions. And when you were talking about like the PhD program and stuff like that, like I remember being in my first master's program, number one, I would cry every time I left, but I felt like I couldn't cry in there because I would be weak and it would be clear that I was under pressure. And I was angry in that program, but also couldn't show it because I didn't want to fulfill that stereotype as the angry black woman. You know, Solange has this um, song on a seat at the table, which is like just a dope album. I mean, Solange's dope. It's super dope. 
Like, like, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. I feel like she's so underrated because her sister is Beyonce. Yes. But I have to say, I love Beyonce. Don't get me wrong. But Solange, I, I like her better. I love Solange. And I just get so upset when she doesn't get the credit she deserves. Right? Solange is on another level. She has yeah. so many dope albums. But my favorite by far is A Seat at the Table. And there's a song in there called Mad. And then, like, the hook, it says, I got a lot to be mad about. And it's like, yes, like... Y'all are sitting here trying to figure out, like, why are you so angry? It's not because I have this innate, like, beast-like, you know, thing in me where I'm just, like, angry because I'm Black. It's like, no, look at the conditions. Look what y'all are doing right now that piss me off. <laughs> I say, you know? yeah. And when y'all And when y'all get angry, it's passion. Oh, well, such and such just got passionate. You know, yeah. when they were talking in the meeting at the day. No, they were angry. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay, but it's also okay if I am. Right. I feel that. And since we're on that, let's talk about the holistic effects of trauma and and of all of this because there is a holistic effect. It is it I mean, just the causes um, permeate through so many things. So we're we're talking about, you know, stereotypes of the angry black woman and how we can't express our rage, our legitimate rage. It's not like just rage out of anywhere. And I'm thinking as an artist, as a media artist, like how that limits the, the way I can um, write characters for black folks. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to... I want to have, I don't want to be put in a box, but because of the racist stereotypes that have been put on black people, I have to be very careful to not make sure that this black character, this black female character I have is angry or crazy or poor or a single mother or whatever, or on welfare or any, I can't actually give depth to my characters for fear of perpetuating racial stereotypes, which wow. is bullshit. Yes. And it's really interesting because, you know, that's a mental thing, right? You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This is going to sound real fucked up, but I have to applaud white supremacy because this shit is so ingrained in everything. Like that is some, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm thinking about, you know, just going back to the stereotypes. Okay. So they're controlling the way we behave, right? Through these stereotypes, yeah. right? Yeah. And then also controlling our emotional expression through these stereotypes, but then also controls, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it controls yeah. the way we behave, but then also perpetuates what they say about us. I don't yes. know how to explain what I'm saying, but. No, I, I mean, I picked up on it. It, yep. it doesn't matter which way. It doesn't matter which way we move. Yeah. They're still in control. And I'm just like, God damn. That's a, I don't know who came up with that strategy, but fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's deep. So just going back to the original, how, talk about the ways that, you know, trauma and, you know, mental health, like really has these holistic effects on our, our, our on our beings, on our spirits, our bodies, all of that. When I was first learning about trauma, um, I was shocked to find that it, it was not just emotional and mental, but that it like it really is physical and and everything. So I have a, a few things. It's cognitive as well. The way that we think about things, the way that we think about ourselves. So like I feel like um, I'm a broken record sometimes when I talk about positive self-talk and like show self-compassion to yourself. And if I could just pause for a moment, um, when my therapist told me to read um, Self-Compassion by Kristen F., I was like, that sounds like it's for white people. <laughs> <laughs> to my white therapist, as I was struggling with negative self-talk, I'm still like, that's for white people, right? In this therapy session where I need this woman to help me. Uh, so, but at least you're cautious enough to check it yeah and then she's like she was like yeah you know Kristen Wolf is a, a, a white woman you don't have to by all means but I really think it could help with some of the things that you've been experiencing so like three sessions later she keeps talking about the self-compassion thing and I'd given it a try like I did the activities and it was working but I was like yeah I don't like white self self-help books because and it has nothing to do with them actually being white except that it doesn't talk about experiences that I can relate to in my life. So it's like, I feel disconnected from reading it, right? Well, this book was different. And so it start, 
it, it, it really changed my life because I started to notice that I even think negatively about myself and I didn't even realize it. Like my self-critic had gotten so bad based on my interactions in this world that I had taken on some of these self-beliefs. So I just wanted to say that about the cognitive response, right? It can also be like intrusive memories or flashbacks can come up for you cognitively. Like you're trying to go to sleep and then boom, like things start coming up for you, preventing you from going to sleep or preventing you from focusing. So sometimes when people talk about, um, you know, like a lot of black students, a childhood K through 12, are they get in trouble for not being able to focus, for being tired, for all of these things that could just be them, right? Their, their personality, but it could be a, a trauma response as well, right? Because it also has physical, um, uh, what is it? Symptoms, persistent fatigue, um, uh, issues with the way you eat, body aches. With that one, I was like, oh my gosh, lower resistance to colds and infections, right? So can I can I stop you for a second? Yeah. Oh my God. So okay, you know we're in this pandemic, right? right. Okay. So you know I've been I've been experiencing a lot of trauma at work. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, so all last year I was getting these migraines, just mm -hmm. migraines. Mm -hmm. And I don't have migraines. I have them every once in a while, but I swear it was like every it was like every day I was having a headache. Yeah. Why ain't have a headache since this pandemic though? Mm-hmm. Like I was like, oh my God. Right. Was that what was calling my migraines? Yeah. Like straight up. Yeah. like debilitating me. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I didn't even I was like, I haven't had not one time this year a yeah. migraine. Right. Not one. And it's interesting because when I look at like I um I now know that something that I experienced in high school was was likely depression. Didn't have the language for it and I was black and so I couldn't be depressed, right? Because during that time it was seen as like black people can't be depressed, which sounds so bizarre to me now, but that was the cultural understanding, right? Mm -hmm. Um but during that time and there's there's some other like actual uh physical things that I deal with that could explain this too, but I would wake up and I would be so tired and I would be like in pain. And my mom, a nurse, right, would be like, there's nothing wrong with you. But it's like, I think about the fact that I just seen someone get killed. I think about the fact that between ninth grade and before I could finish my 10th grade year, I lost four, four friends and three family members. The four friends were all killed. So I think about that and like, there was no way that I was okay. And there was no grief counseling. There was no nothing. It was just like, I would go to the funeral. I would cry, go to the funeral and go back to school. And so, yeah, you know, during my 10th grade year, um, I did very poorly, which was like, hey, like, alert, alert, alert. Mm -hmm. Y'all, this is not like Brandy. Brandy doesn't want to go to school. Brandy only want to go to perform, you know, on Friday nights, but she doesn't want to go to class. Like, now, like, as a, as a mother and as, like, an educator and all of those things, when I see those signs, I can ask, like, hey, like, what's going on? Is everything okay? You know, kind of make space and hold space for somebody. But instead, it was like, Oh, because she hanging with the wrong people because of this, because of that. And I had a, a counselor tell me like, you, you can't go to a university. You, you're just, um, you might be able to get into one of those black colleges, you know? So when you think about the <laughs> impact, which there's black laughing. colleges. Dude, like I was told the same shit. I wasn't even told I could get in black colleges. I was just like, yeah, I'm never <laughs> going to college. And I was like, bitch, what? Right. Right. This is a black woman though. This is a black woman too. Just FYI, black folks perpetuate white supremacy just like white folks. Go ahead. Yep. Yes. Hegemony. Hegemony. Like taking on that that oppressive thought and then applying it. And so I say all that to say that that not only is trauma, not only does trauma show up mentally, physically, and behaviorally. We didn't even show that. Like our behaviors, um, the ones that we talked about that we create to protect us sometimes and then we'll become adults and we're still using those things that we don't need anymore but they feel comfortable they're familiar and familiar that word is rooted in the word family so mm. we go back to what 
it is that we learned, right? And we have all these behaviors that stop us from um, having good relationships, whether they be friendships, uh, relationships with coworkers or romantic. Um, we can uh, just start to like engage in, you know, uh, overusing alcohol or drugs or even people like let's talk about mm-hmm. that overusing people yes what is it called a uh, co- codependent a codependency codependency trauma bonding it shows up in and i think it's important to like educate people about like how might this show up because i'm not a therapist but when i coach people and when i'm on panels and when i'm teaching a workshop or speaking at a conference i like to talk about all this because this might be the first time someone's hearing it and it might be the thing that they need to to feel validated in their experience. It's like, this this is not happen- This is not happening to me because something's wrong with me, but it's a response to something. And I would also like to say, you know, as a teacher, and honestly, I had, I, I've never taken like a child development class or anything. Um, I can tell, I could just tell, like I, it's what, the first thing you said is trust your intuition. When I see a change in a student, you should automatically, there's something not right here. Or, you know, I've been like, students will just, they will be like all into the class. And then all of a sudden they disappear, right? How many of us reach out? I reach out, I'm like, where are you? I'm worried. You know what I'm saying? And you know what I noticed? Because I didn't used to say I was worried, right? Because I was like, teacher, student, you know, like, (laughs) I never got a response from a student. When I started saying, I'm worried about you where are you? That's when they would check it and tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. And probably would be, I would probably be the first person to ask them what's going on. You know what I'm saying? And I think as a community, as a black community specifically, we need to be more, we need to lean in more into our intuition. Mm-hmm. We are powerful yes. people, like spiritually powerful. I feel like we have the ability to go, you know, there's that invisible veil between the physical and the spiritual world. I feel like we have that that connection. And so we need to use that. That's intuition. We need to yeah. use that to take care of our own. Exactly. You know, in diary and my brother's keeper, you know, the, mm-hmm. the original answer was, no, nah, I'm not my brother. No, nah, yes, I am. We're each other's keepers because nobody's going to keep us but us. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's going to care about us but us. Um so, so you know, while while we're on this normalizing, how do we get this to be normalized specifically within the black community? Because I, 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 we die early at every stage. Even you know, you talked about you know having um, your twin boys and them passing, right? Um, there's a lot of you know miscarriages in the black community. There's a lot of stillborns in the black communities. There's elders who are passing earlier than they should be in the black communities, people who are dying earlier at age 30 and 40 in the black community and not due to gun violence. You know what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with gun violence. How do we get to normalize? Because I do think a large part of that is the stress that we've been socialized to hold in because we're black, right? Because we don't have that space to express exactly how we're feeling. So yeah, how do we how do we normalize this? How do we bring up this next generation to say it's okay if you're depressed? We're going to we're going to help you or you know what happened? I know you're traumatized. Let me let me help you. Let us get you some help. How do we normalize this in our community? And I think a lot of that something that you said earlier about the book um, the self-help books is like you don't feel connected to it. So I think a lot of this has to do with the language we use. So I'm going to combine those two. How do we normalize it, you know, not only through language, um, but especially through language and then within our community so that we can be healthier? It, it has to do with changing the narrative and, and, and expanding our definitions, right? So I don't know that I have the answer like to it all, but I'll just offer up some things that I think we could do to move this thing forward and um, definitely language and changing the narratives and expanding our definitions in our communities. But one way that we do that is by telling our own stories. When we tell our own stories, we give other people permission to explore their own stories and then maybe eventually tell theirs. And even if they don't tell it publicly, maybe they come 
at to peace with some of their stories so that they can show up for people who might be experiencing something differently or they just become more in tune with their own feelings and emotions and intuition, right? Because I say trust your intuition and yet it took me a long time to trust my intuition and I'm still having to be like, hey, your intuition is talking to you. You need to listen to that, you know? Um, and I think that one way that, or, or let me back up a little bit. When we tell our stories, there's power in it. When we're like, like shame, guilt, anger, all of that stuff, it lives and thrives in the dark. So when we have traumatic experiences and we have all of this stuff tucked away to our protection, right? There's no, I'm not shaming anybody who is in that place because it's, it's, we've suppressed it to protect us, right? But when it stays there longer than it needs to, it just continues to grow and thrive. When it comes out into the sun, it sort of withers away the power that it has over us withers away and we now be we now have agency over that narrative and over what happened to us what we experienced that sort of thing so we have to tell our stories right um and in one of the therapies that I did, I had to like write my story each session and then read it out loud. And then each time I read those sections, it became easier for me to read out loud. And it was because like, I was just like holding it all in, right? Um, there's other types of therapies that I've been through to kind of help with the trauma. Um, but some of the, when I say expand our definitions is like, we have to stop holding each other to this myth of blackness. Mm, what's the myth of blackness? Woo! Like that blackness is a monolith. That it's a monolith. That like, it looks a certain way. It sounds a certain way. It feels a certain way. It smells a certain way. Right? <laughs> like, Can I say something? Yes. Can I say yes. something about that real yes. quick? Um, that blackness is white constructed. Go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> That's a white constructed blackness. Yeah. And we hold each other accountable to a white constructed blackness. And that goes back to what you were saying about white supremacy. That's why I felt it so much. Um, we need to expand our definitions of violence. What is mental health? What is love? What is a healthy relationship look like? A lot, all of those things. And it's going to take us a long time but as we tell our stories. Then we can shoot holes through, okay, like what went wrong? Like, how can we help with that? How can we cope with that? How can we thrive through that? Um, and so that's one part of what I consider to be like communal healing is that storytelling and that expanding our definition. So for example, I posted a while ago and it didn't get many hits because I think people are still kind of like, what does this mean? But it's like, okay, we all agree that we have a physical health and that we need physicals and that you're either in good physical health or you're in bad physical health. But somehow there's this narrative that if you have mental health, it's because you have a diagnosis and you have some type of psychosis, um, you're schizophrenic or bipolar. And then we make those two things like the worst things that you can be. Uh, but if you have anxiety, okay, that's all right. A, a lot of us experience anxiety. So, but what we need to start thinking about is that we all have a mental health. Are we taking care of it or are we not? Are we mentally well? Or are we mentally not well? So just like expanding those definitions so that we're not tying mental wellness or mental health to a diagnosis. Yeah, to are mental you well illness. Or are you not well? Right. Yes. Yeah. It's about how do you feel? How are you living in your daily life? Are you happy? Like, are you Ooh. really happy? I will tell you, honey, you are just getting me goosebumps. Because <laughs> I'm just like, I don't think I'm happy. Mm. <laughs> now that you, when you really, seriously, I, yes. you know, and I, I want to challenge our, our listeners to like really ask yourself, are you happy? And then I guess it would really um, come down to um, what is your definition of happy, though, yes. right? Because I feel like we as a society define happiness in terms of currency, yes. what we have, how much we make. And just me coming from the like lowest, I was like super, super, um, super poor. That's what I want to say. Sorry. <laughs> Um, I was super poor um, and I've, 
I've transitioned from being super poor to middle class. Mm -hmm. And even though I've changed social economic levels, I'm still struggling. And I think, I think uh, what I've also experienced is, um, when other people don't understand that happiness has nothing to do with material things, they dismiss you. That's what I've been experiencing too. Like I'm not, I have this, I have a house, I have all of these material things. So why are you unhappy? Why are you depressed? Mm -hmm. That's what I've Mm -hmm. been experiencing from some folks in my community. Um, So I think that's a part of the normalizing too, is disconnecting our happiness from capitalism. Ooh, oh my gosh. Somebody- <laughs> Talk to us. Because you know it's evil. I, it's- all of that resonates with me so much and why I I started my channel. It's called The Brandy Renee, right? Because I'm just like, I want to talk about whatever I want to talk about. But then I was like, what is really like my goal? And my goal is also to sort of like get us thinking about happiness and and not as it being connected to like what you're talking about it, it so when you think about let me just put into perspective i i was i realized that i was in the midst of a breakdown as i was achieving the things that i that i wanted so i just got a new job that i wanted i bought a house that i that i wanted <laughs> i was having the second ch- second child Speak. that i wanted Speak. i was I'm in a very healthy, happy relationship. And yet I found myself like one day crying on my bed, three weeks postpartum, like I am not happy. Like Mm. what is wrong with me? And I was literally in one of my videos, I talk about this saying like, you have a house, (laughs) you have a job, your husband has a job. Like, you know what I mean? And it was like, oh, like, that stuff is good to have. That stuff provides security. It provides stability for you, your kids. Um, it, I'm happy I have that because if I have my mental state right now and not that, then we might be in a worse situation. Right but, right. but overall, in order for me to like sustain happiness, it cannot be tied to anything that is not within me. We have to do that inner work. We have to do the inner work. And when you talk about what does happy mean, what happiness means to me, it might be different what happiness means to Arnetta. They they can look different and they can coexist, but my happiness cannot be tied to another person or to anything that is not on myself. And so then you have to do the digging and the journaling really helped me because I was really able to say, okay, what what do I need to work on? And I really need to work on my self-worth that was tied to all of the things that I just named. Um, but really, really uncovering those hurtful things. It is not fun. It is not easy. So please don't let me trick you into thinking that this is like <laughs> something that's easy to do. It's not. I've cried all the time. And when I go to my therapy appointments, I have a mountain of like Kleenex <laughs> next to me, like within an hour each time. Still a year later, year and a half, three years later, like it, it, it's hard work, but it's 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 valuable work. Thank you for this. The last question I want to ask you, um, because I know we've been talking about therapy a lot. Um, what do you? What's your advice to those people who need either some mental wellness in their lives, but don't have access financially or otherwise to the services that they need? Yeah, some that that's such a great question and i wish i could be like i know a handful of people that offer free services <laughs> um, <laughs> that's rare so let's get to that point um because i do think that that should be a part of well i won't even get into reparations and stuff because we're trying to close this out that could be another episode though <laughs> <laughs> right because i got a whole package ready for somebody to pick up but um <laughs> but but i will say that some of the things that you can start doing like right now is just picking up a notebook or your cell phone or something and just start taking stock of how you're feeling, mm. how you're feeling and take note of a couple of things, right? Like how are you feeling and what happened to cause you to feel those things? And um, that can kind of really help you to then look at and evaluate, okay, where in my life do I need to set like healthier boundaries? What can I then do for myself, self-care to make myself 
feel good, stay afloat, create a routine that's not tied to a lot of money or anything, you know, but something that I can just pick up and do in the house or walk outside or whatever it is. Also, there's typically, and I know we're in a pandemic, some have moved online and some haven't, but there's sometimes like community groups. If you go to church, there's typically like church groups. Um, those will work for some people. They won't work for others, right? Because that's a whole other conversation. But just like these free um, community resources where you can have like peer support, right? Um, there's a lot of online communities that I'm involved in, um, for face, in on Facebook. Um, I I can send you a list of some of them because they're slipping my mind um, right now, but also like podcasts um, that talk about this, that can just help you feel validated, right? Like just consuming media that validates your experience and then evaluating like the people that are in your life too. Like we have to start to take stock of the things that make us uncomfortable, the people who cause us discomfort and like take distance from them and journal along the way, journal that experience, right? Cause that helps us to set the boundaries where they need to be placed so that we protect our energy, our spirit, our emotions, our resources, our money, <laughs> all of those things, right? So just really, um, like doing that and creating these and creating affirmations for yourself or mantras that speak true to you. Like for me during the work week, one that I use a lot is your best is always enough. Your best is always enough. Right. So just something that you can go to and that you can start to believe and that becomes a part of your positive self-talk. Right. And then when you're able to get with a therapist, you know, you're, you're already doing some of the work because we can't, always wait right and I think that was one of my mistakes feeling like I had to like get to a certain point in my life to heal or to afford a certain type of person to help me heal or whatever when I could have been doing some of these things on my own and using the resources around me and then limiting things that don't make you feel good pay attention to the mm. media you consume pay attention mm. to our environments all of that stuff is going to help us to stay afloat and really work toward the things that we want desire and deserve in life Ashe, thank you so much, Brandy, for your wisdom. Okay, so if folks want to follow you, what's the what? Where can they follow you on social media, and then the link to your and to your YouTube channel? Yes. So if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Instagram as Happiness underscore Unlocked, and then on YouTube, I'm also on there as Happiness Unlocked, no underscore. So you can go there, you can you can subscribe there. I put out content once a week, um, and then on Instagram, I'm just on there doing stuff throughout the week and trying to give a daily dose of positivity or a message, something like that. Ashe. Well, thank you so much for joining us. That is it for us today. I want to thank everyone who tuned in. Um, we'll see you in two weeks. Deuces. This podcast was produced by Mike Check Media and hosted by Arnetta Viella Smith. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Queenie Leda. That's Q-U-E-E-N-E-L-E-D-A. Peace.